listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your host, Vanessa Diaz. This is episode 450.5, and today I'm going to tell you about two mysteries that are great for busting a reading slump. So let's get the obvious out of the way. I have been on here a very not zero number of times talking about reading slumps in the past year, two years, three years. I don't know how many at this point. I don't even know if I need to give this disclaimer, but I think a lot of us are in this same space and have or found ourselves in and out of this space in the last several years because things are hard. I want to give a quick shout out to Christina Orlando over at Reactor, who sums up a lot of what I've been feeling lately really beautifully in this piece that's actually about 30 fantastic SFF titles to look forward to in 2024. But the intro to that piece really speaks to just how hard it is to be a person talking about books right now. Not hard because it's us who are suffering so much as that it's there is so much other suffering in the world and it can feel difficult to put into words why it's still important to talk about this stuff or to feel that it's important at all, like to talk about books and, and genre fiction, which is often not taken as seriously when there is so much heaviness going on in our country, in the world awful things, terrible things, and then here we are wanting to talk about, you know, fun little made-up stories on pages. But as she points out, art is important, books are important, we know this, and it is important to reach for art and joy to bring light to dark spaces. And it's, again, just really beautifully put, so I, I hope you go check that out. I know it definitely made me feel a little bit better about taking the time to do what we do because it is important to still talk about this sort of stuff and, and to find that joy that I you know just mentioned is essential. So let's talk about some books that pulled me out of a funk both recently and in other hard times. One is a thrilling read set in a smart home in the Scottish Highlands and the other in a house with a secret room that is the beginning of a really fun series. But before we do that, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dad 
dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. The first book on my list is The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. So the hosts of All the Backlist and I work off of a spreadsheet of titles that we use to document books that we've either talked about already or plan to talk about, because even though there are a bajillion books out there in the world, we would find a way and have found a way in the past to overlap if we didn't keep track. Very often when I go to check for an author or title, especially if it's one that is, you know, relatively well known or has a deep list or backlist, I mean, then it's been talked about on the show before and I move on. And when I tell you that I was very shocked to discover that Ruth Ware wasn't anywhere on that list. I was very surprised, but of course, also pleased because that works out very conveniently for me. Um, I have not read all of Ruth Ware's catalog, but I have read most of it. So picking which one to talk about today was actually kind of hard. Spoiler, I am going to save the rest to talk about on another show. So, you know, act surprised. But I went with this one, funnily enough, talking about reading slumps because the fellow staff member and I were in a reading slump last year and we're talking about how mysteries and thrillers are usually the remedy. And she recommended a Ruth Ware book to me and I won to her, like different titles. And it was a great time. So that's how I finally came to read Turn of the Key. Our main character in this book is Rowan Kane, who is making a pittance working in a nursery and needs to find a better paying job if she's going to avoid getting evicted. She comes from an, she comes from, she comes across, I should say, a advertisement for a nanny position, an advertisement, if you will, um, that screams too good to be true from the conditions to the very generous pay, like outrageously generous pay, room and board provided in this beautiful home, and of course, how well it aligns with her resume, like it seems as though it dropped out of the sky and into her lap. And of course, she doesn't feel like she can trust it. She's pretty sure it's either BS or that the candidate pool will just be massive for this job and doesn't think she has much of a chance, but she still arranges the interview, you know, on the off chance that it is true and that it can happen like she wants in. So she goes to interview and she has to do this on location to this remote location deep in the Scottish Highlands where she finds this gorgeous remodeled Victorian mansion. She soon meets the mother of the woman who wants to hire her, which name is Sandra, and her three daughters, who are a baby and two small girls who are eight and the less than eight. I don't remember the second, but they're they're small girls. This house is bananas. It is a smart home on steroids. Some of it you might expect, you know, lighting controls and music and stuff, but this is not that. It is, you know, not just a, hey, device name, turn down the sound stuff. There are controls for everything, including the fridge where you, you know, say, add milk, and it does, and it adds the item to the grocery delivery list and all kinds of other just really kind of borderline creepy additions to the home. It feels very, you know, like surveillance state for somebody who doesn't live in the house. And I guess maybe if you live in it too. And as Rowan learns, it's also sometimes kind of glitchy when she's forced to spend the night during that interview due to an issue with the trains. Sandra tells Rowan that this job is pretty much hers, though. And also, though, there's a small thing, which is that uh, A, she needs her to start pretty much immediately. And B, there's this, like, you know, rumor that the house is haunted or whatever. And all the other nannies have gone running for the hills almost immediately after starting. That's fine, though, right? (laughs) 
that's all a lot to take in, but Rowan figures she'll get used to it and it might be worth it to live in this, you know, McMansion that's probably not haunted, right? All the luxury and that fat salary are just so tempting. So she basically moves mountains to, you know, get out of her old job and start to this one. And then she shows up for her first day and immediately red flags. For one, Sandra informs her right away that both she and her husband need to leave on a business trip the next day. <laughs> like, And, you know, Rowan knew that that was going to be part of the job, that both of the parents traveled a lot. That's why they need a nanny. But literally the next day, like they are going to trust their kids, their three kids with a woman that they have only actually met once. And they're all, there's a manual. It'll be fine. But like, we're, we're leaving. And of course, for a whole week. Then there's also the fact that the husband is kind of a creep and hits on her the first night. Oh, and one of the girls, the oldest, Maddie, she keeps telling Rowan to leave and will whisper stuff like the guests won't like it. Like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Strange noises begin to wake them up. The music will suddenly play really loud as hell out of nowhere. The lights will just cut out. Rowan swears she hears someone in the house when it should be empty. She begins to wonder if the house is maybe really haunted and like what happened to all those other nannies? Why is Maddie so creepy and intent on getting Rowan fired? We're getting more and more details revealed as Rowan tells the story. And I promise none of this is actually a spoiler. We know most of this from the description. As is what I'm about to tell you, not a spoiler, which is that you're getting all of this in letters that she's writing to her solicitor from prison. And it just let the rest of this story unfold. I won't tell you more about it. There's a twist that I didn't see coming and then another twist. And it's just so, so satisfying. Ruth Ware is so good at building tension. I mean, so good at giving you the vibe and brilliance of old school mystery. Obviously, it's an homage to the greats, but also refreshing the tropes in a way that feels just like a perfect fit. Like You almost have to remind yourself, oh, yeah, we're talking about a smart home in the Scottish Highlands. This is not an Agatha Christie, you know, mystery or what have you. It's And she's just so talented at doing that. I haven't read a book of hers yet that didn't have a pretty great payoff. So you're in really good hands in general, I think, with Ruth Ware. But this is definitely one of my new favorites. That once again is The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. My next pick is the first in a really fun series, and that is Under Lock and Skeleton Key by Gigi Pandian. I've been reading Gigi Pandian for a while, back when she was on a very short list of authors of cozy mysteries of color that I would recommend to people. I'm short, not because uh, I didn't want to recommend more authors, but because there just weren't as many being published, I want to make that clear. It was really, really a not diverse subgenre for a very long time, and it's finally starting to get better. So Gigi Pandian is the Agatha and Anthony award-winning author of the Accidental Alchemist Mysteries and the Jaya Jones Treasure Hunt Mysteries. I've read the first two books in the Accidental Alchemist series, but it's been a while and I need to go finish that series because it was super funny, as I remember. And I forgot that it's set in Portland, Oregon, where I now live. And it's about a centuries old alchemist and a gargoyle who was made of stone, but then was accidentally brought to life through alchemy. So yeah, more of that. <laughs> but this uh, book, Lock, Under Lock and Skeleton Key, is the first in the Secret Staircase Mysteries. And it's so fun, especially if you love sort of a twist on the locked room trope and secret rooms and stuff. So let me tell you more about that. Our main character is Tempest Raj, and she's living in her childhood home in the Bay Area in Northern California, which was not a part of her life plan. She is a magician in a family of magicians, five generations of them, in fact, including her half Scottish, half Indian mom, who she followed into the profession and who has now disappeared and is presumed dead by apparent suicide. She was making a name for herself. She was doing great in her career when a tragic stage accident 
killed that career. Talking about Tempest now. So she's again back home, finding comfort where she can, including in her grandfather's home-cooked Indian meals, which sound just so delicious and made me very hungry. Tempest does not want to, but every day it is looking more likely that she will wind up working for her father's company, which I will say is a really cool company. It's Secret Staircase Construction, and it specializes in transforming clients' homes with all of these cool architectural elements of our dreams, right? Sliding bookcases, secret you know, bookcases, concealed gardens, really fancy intricate locks, tree houses and backyards, secret rooms and reading nooks, like that sort of thing that we all, you know, at least I definitely have always wanted in my home. Then one day Tempest visits her dad's latest renovation project, which is a multi-millionaire's big old mansion where they're adding a secret room and an unsettling discovery is made which is as they go about constructing that secret room, her former stage double's body is found inside a wall that has supposedly been sealed for more than a century. And that stage double, by the way, is the person who Tempest believes was responsible for the accident that killed her career. Tempest sets out to solve this seemingly impossible crime. The room has no windows and no doors. That stage double obviously looks a lot like her. So who was the intended victim here? Was it maybe her and, you know, not this stage double named Cassie? Is she maybe seeing the ghost of her dead mother now? And is there maybe something to the rumor that the eldest members of the Raj family are cursed? There's a lot to unpack, a lot to solve, and the book is just a really fun time. There are two more books in the series, one of which is already out, out now. It's called The Raven Thief, and we're getting another one called A Midnight Puzzle this March. So if you enjoy this one, you can immediately pick up the second, and then that next one will be out in, you know, just about a month. And that is all I have for you today. I hope those books work for you, whether you're in a reading slump or just feel like having a good mystery thriller time. Thank you so much to today's sponsor and to our audio editor, Caitlin Brame, and thank you, of course, for listening. For more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com and don't forget to check our full offering of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or you can search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. You can find a list of all the books and articles I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. And remember, if you're a fan of all the books and all the backlists and you want to show us some love, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate podcasts so that other book lovers can find us. If you want to find me, I am mostly on Instagram these days at Buenos Dias SD. I occasionally post pictures of trees, sometimes books, sometimes my niece and nephew, sometimes random shenanigans. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening. Enjoy those books. And in the meantime, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.